the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 102, recorded Friday, August 2nd, 2013. Philatelist. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. It's time for AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. Welcome. Thank you so much for listening, downloading, streaming, uh, however it is that you are listening to us. Thanks for doing it. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. I'm your host. Uh, with us this week is George Tucker. He's my right and or left hand, depending on which one I need on a certain week. Uh, he also works for World Stage as their engineering coordinator, and he's my favorite New Yorker. How are you, sir? <laughs> all right. I'm all right. Thank Actually, you're not in New York. You're in Yonkers, so... No. I don't want to. There's a state called New York, too, you know. There is? <laughs> it's not just the city, though I love it so. I was going to say, you, you, you would be hard pressed to get the average New Yorker to agree to that. Well, New York is like Chicago and Illinois, you know? Everybody out of Chicago doesn't think that there's a rest of Illinois, so. Mm. Um, that's just my own two cents as being a South Illinoiser. Uh, speaking of Illinois, the St. Louis area where Mr. Adrian Boyd left us some time ago to go work for Avitexture. He is the system senior systems designer over there. How are you, sir? I'm fine. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Uh, last but not least, we have a newbie, so please be nice to her, gentlemen. Uh, her name is Ellen. Is it Julen? I should have asked you. Jalen. Jalen. Uh, yes. She is the digital products analyst for Meyer Sound Labs, but she is also the Pro-AV segment leader for the Avenue Alliance. Welcome. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about AVB and the Avenue Alliance and what you guys have been doing. Uh, we're also going to talk about a very cool article. and it, I, I, I'm, It's a cool article because it, it, des- it describes what Lumens is, and it was in Gizmodo. <laughs> so that's, I guess that's, that's why I think it's cool is because uh, a tech blog is, is describing uh, for the rest of the world, and, and actually it was, it was helpful. Uh, it's helpful for your, uh, your green recruits uh, to take them through and exactly explain what, what Lumens is. Uh, also, Bixie has a new uh, standard, and we all love standards. The $1,000 uh, 4K TV. Uh, and also, we're going to talk about uh, uh, a little bit about C- uh, CDA 2013. Uh, but first, this is a story that caught my eye uh, simply because I deal with both of these companies, and it led me to a larger question. Conference Technologies, which is based out of St. Louis, uh, has purchased United Visual, which is out of Chicago. Uh, here's the thing about United Visual. They've been around for about 65, 60, 65 years. And the question that, that kind of rose out of this, uh, George, we'll kick this off with you. What does this say about our established uh, integrators around the country? Because you have companies like you have Ford, who is they're, they're a good-sized company, right? But then you have the AVISPLs of the world, which I, I'm not—I don't mean this, det- you know, disrespectfully—but they're almost like Walmart at this point because they're buying up all these little, these these small integrators, and they're expanding their market, and they're expanding their reach. Conference Technologies is not quite there yet, but they've purchased a, a fair number of different integrators in the, at least in the Midwest, and now they've purchased you know a, a 65-year-old company that has that was well established. 
what does that say uh, for other um, uh, legacy integrators that have been around for a while? You know, I've been thinking about this and thinking about this. The two things I can come up with is this company is well positioned to say, we think the economy is doing really well or is on the verge of doing really well, which means demand will rise. We want to be ready with the resources and the materials to do it. This is a good thing. Plus, we, you know, what any business wants to do is expand its coverage and become mm-hmm. bigger and make more money. I mean, that's, that's, I want to do a line from Spaceballs, right? <laughs> it's the quest for more money. But uh, is it a threat? You know, here's my problem with it. I, in the staging and event world, went through in the early 90s watching every single staging company get bought up, little mom and pops, the independents, get bought up by bigger companies who were established looking to go coast to coast or cover an entire swath. And of those big collectives that became of that, not many are left. The carabiners of the world and, and others went away. Now, people listening may not know who they are, but they were big players in my industry for a while, and they overexpanded too quickly. And I've read the article, they, they had, what, five? So did they dissolve into nothing, or were they purchased by other companies? They got, they got broken up again, and okay. certain ones kind of tried to survive, and others went away. I don't know all the salient details, but those coast-to-coast megaliths, most of them that went on a buying spree, soon departed this world <laughs> as an entity. Um, so I always worry about that. You know, when you're expanding, they said five in 2013, mm-hmm. either they've got some kind of business model that I don't know that's really good and I'd like to know about it, uh, <laughs> or, you know, you got to be careful here. Well, Adrian, the same question kind of goes for you, but on a different, a d- different level, because what you guys do at, at Avidexter, um, you do a lot of CAD designing and, and you do the, uh, the design part. Is there a, this, is a, this may be a stupid question, but that's what I'm famous for. Is there a design or, or a, um, a, uh, an AV uh, consultant version of AVISPL? Um, well, to an extent. I mean, if you look at uh, Shen and um, uh, Jane, uh, RTKL, mm-hmm. there's a couple, you know, fairly large established um, consulting firms that have multiple offices, but usually, you know, they're one or two guys. They're just covering a, a specific location or, or a geographic region. Um, you know, CTI, uh, I know, you know, one of the owners quite well, and they do have an interesting business model. And, um, you know, a, a lot of what they do is is positioning themselves in markets that don't always have, um, you know, large AV support. So uh, they've been consistently growing for the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, this is actually good, good to see that, you know, they're definitely thinking that uh, the economy is getting a little better. But the other thing is they're not uh, specifically um, uh, stuck in the AV realm. They've also expanded a lot to the IT sectors. Um, they do a lot of um, internal help desk uh, uh, situations and bringing in servers on, into their own facilities. So they've broadened their horizons in a lot of places that are definitely um, really good revenue generators for companies. And what we've seen in the last couple of years for our industry is if you're not adapting and if you're not improvising, you're going to die as a business. So, you know, it's good to see other AV firms looking going, we need to change what we're doing or else we're not going to be around much longer. And you see that a lot more in the mom and pop operations. It's they want to get out. Where do they go? So is that, is that maybe how that you think that they've expanded by doing all of the, the IT centric stuff? I think that's, I think that's definitely a, a 
key portion or at least a, a, a good component of some of the things that they've been doing over the years. Um, they've got a really, really good, strong design crew. They um, definitely have a really good management team. So I think they're seeing segments of the market that may or, or looking at different verticals that maybe have not been traditionally AV friendly. And they're saying, hey, there's, a, there's an area that we can go after. And they're positioning themselves for it. Ellen, you work for Meyer Sound, so obviously you work for a, a manufacturer. How does this work when one company buys another uh, when it comes to dealerships and, and, and um, uh, not exclusive deals, but uh, you know, whether it's you guys or it's you know, Extron or AMX or, or who have you, uh, different uh, manufacturers have different deals with, with different companies, different integrators. How does that work when one company buys another? Yeah, it's interesting because I was actually um, with LCS Audio before Meyer Sound acquired LCS, so kind of saw a bit of that. um, And uh, you know, we had um, some common distribute some common distributors, um, but not a lot of overlap. And so there was you know some kind of you know hard uh, conversations there of you know breaking up with some distributors and uh, making sure that we weren't kind of you know overextended in some areas and um, you know and getting the right kind of group of, of coverage around the world. Um, but, uh, we had, yeah, so there was slightly different, um, distribution models that, um, between LCS and, and Meyer Sound. Um, and so it was kind of a, a period over like, you know, probably about a, a year or so to kind of reconcile all that and sort it out. Mm, very good. Uh, mm-hmm. all right. Uh, guys moving on. Um, Ellen is from the Avenue Alliance as well as being from, uh, from Meyer Sound. Uh, One of the things that we are uh, that was interesting about Infocom this year was the Avenue Alliance uh, uh, area, and not that this was the first. (laughs) This wasn't the first time they had (laughs) an area. I went to the one last year in in Vegas, and it was it was good. It was it wasn't great. It was good, (laughs) and I I, I will be very honest with you, Alan. I have never. uh, I have. I was not a big fan of of AVB. And I say I wasn't. It is in past tense. Um, last year, let's say 2012, and even Infocom 2012, it was really cool to see all of the different audio components hooked into each other. That's really great. Um, but the one thing that I kept saying last year uh, is that there's a V, as in Victor, as in video, in, yeah. <laughs> in AVB, <laughs> and I wasn't seeing it. And so it was interesting. It was really neat to see that this year with Barco and a couple other people that were showing active video uh, with, with, with the protocol. Um, a couple of articles that we're going we're gonna to touch on here. One is obviously you guys have uh, a new AVB loudspeaker, uh, mm-hmm. Meyer Sound being. Um, how does that work in, in, in relation to uh, the entire AVB infrastructure? Is it just, is, it there, is there an RJ45 jack on the back? How does that work? Yeah, yeah. There's an RG45 on the back, and um, you know, it's uh, the the type of product would be a an an endpoint, uh, right? So you can send audio to it, and it accepts um, a, a couple channels, um, but mostly you're going to use one for the speaker. And um, we've got an installation right now in Hong Kong where we've got a, a Biamp um, Tessera system that's sending AVB to Cal. Um, we've you know been working with uh, you know a number of manufacturers that are in the Avenue Alliance, you know, and I plug fest and things, and so we've you know kind of gotten to know other products and you know how they interact and stuff and so um, it was a great opportunity for us to kind of work together outside of Avenue Alliance and make a you know a system that was integrated with AVB from multiple manufacturers 
So you worked with with all of the different from the and again I I've I'm still learning the the AVB. Start from the very beginning and, and give me the the uh, the nomenclature for all of the different components of AVB. What is the start point? Is sure. that a transmitter? Sure. So there's um, the, what we call endpoints and bridges, right? So okay. endpoints is anything um, we could have talkers or listeners. And it's go. kind of um, the reverse of kind of what we know as speakers and microphones because, um, you know, a microphone is actually a talker on the AVB side and a speaker is a listener. Um, so it's kind of, you know, going inward to the network instead of kind of what we're, you know, accustomed to in the audio world. Um, but, uh, you know, so you have a talker that's creating an, uh, an AVB stream and that stream could have one channel in it or several channels um, and then uh, you know might advertise that it has several different kinds of streams or you know different channel combinations and then um, endpoints that our listeners can request to subscribe to that to a stream that a uh, talker is providing so it sends this request uh, over the network through the bridges that are in between the endpoints and uh, you know each bridge can check for itself and say, yes, I have enough bandwidth, or no, I don't. And, um, you know, if all the switches say yes, uh, then the stream is established and the, you know, the bridges um, assign this bandwidth to the stream um, and it starts flowing. Um, so that's kind of like the, you know, the, the basic how this kind of hooks up and gets connected. What happens if one of them says, no, I don't have enough bandwidth? Do you just not get any sound or? You don't get any sound, okay. yeah. Then you have to, uh, you know, reconfigure your network or, you know, choose something different. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a, you know, it's going to work or it's not going to be available to you. So really kind of, kind of want to guarantee that something is going to happen when you request something and not a kind of like, you know, kind of a mid-level attempt at trying to make something work that might fuzz out at some point. So we really want to make sure that something is working and that it, the bandwidth is guaranteed available for that stream um, while it's flowing. When uh, one of the things that I found interesting was the the AVB certification process, did you do that with this with these speakers? Uh, the uh, Avenue certification process is not uh, open for endpoints at this time. Oh, really? Okay. So well, there you yeah, go. yeah. So, Never but uh, we do intend. Yeah, we do intend to be uh, to get Cal certified as we do with um, any of our AV products that uh, Meyer Sound makes. Why wouldn't um, the listeners be be certified as well? I'm just wondering. Oh, they would be, um, but they're still, uh, so the certification process um, focused on bridges first because, um, you know, kind of early on we realized that there was a potential of a kind of chicken and the egg problem, you know, if, you know, the bridges aren't going to be available because there's no demand for, you know, with no endpoints in the market, but you can't have endpoints unless you have bridges. And so um, we kind of made an executive decision within the Avenue Alliance that, that the bridges should go first because okay. um, you can't have endpoints without bridges. And um, so even though it was like not quite a like really solid business case of, yes, there are all these endpoints, what we knew, you know, within the Avenue Alliance about the products that were, people were contributing and that we're working on. And so, um, so we've, the certification program is focused on bridges first and that started, opened um, earlier this year and uh, we're kind of expecting the first certified products to be announced you know, pretty shortly. Um, yeah, that was so one of the things that, that you guys said at the at the at the pavilion uh, at the Avenue Alliance Pavilion was that those those should be shortcoming. Um, George Leonard Susskind, one of the articles that we have here, wrote uh, about AVB. This is the death of the AV system, um, and I, I don't think he meant it. At least I, I didn't take it as a as a negative. 
Uh, but he was talking about the virtualized matrix switchers and mm. the fact that this is going to be the death of, you know, obviously the, the, the death of, of analog is, is, or at least the, the minimization of, of analog is something we're already watching. How accurate, though, is Leonard when he talks about the death of the AV system in, as a whole uh, when it comes to AVB? Well, I think that really depends on the time frame that you're speaking of. No, mm -hmm. in the near future, for the next four or five years, I don't think, like the Mark Twain quote, <laughs> it's a little bit exaggerated. Um, but beyond that, yeah, I, look, it's been happening in the in the live world forever. The DAWs and the the digital workstations that these that those are are more and more becoming a better part of it. Dante is becoming more and more of an essential part of what live guys do right now. And they are looking at AVB and they're waiting for it to be what it's supposed to be for them. Um, but I don't think the death is imminent, but I think it is eventual. Yeah, just sort of like our sun, though. <laughs> you know it's going to blow up sometime into a red star, right? It's going to cause a lot of problems. But it's a little bit off. What happened? Never mind. I'm going to ask that question. Uh, Adrian is is uh, <laughs> Leonard um, uh, is Leonard uh, on, on the mark with this, or is he a bit far off? No, I don't think he's far off. I mean, I think he's looking at what we have on our horizon in, in the terms of uh, uh, of our connection points and and you know what we've been talking about the last ten years of, of you know AV and IT and the whole networking environment becoming closer and closer, and you know those blurred lines are becoming a lot more evident with some of the newer technologies coming out. I mean, if you, we, we talk about AVB, we're, we're seeing some real strong products coming out that have AVB. We're seeing that um, companies like uh, SVSI uh, have products that are um, definitely making people consider, you know, I don't need to have that huge rack of gear anymore. Um, we're looking at um, a lot more... Um, software-based solutions, you know, from companies like Mersive and, and, and they're like where, you know, the idea of you having to physically have a box to send a signal somewhere, it's starting to go away. Uh, when we look at the, you know, the one of the hot buzzwords is, is that, uh, you know, BYOD, you know, where someone just walks in and my device, I just need to connect it to the network and I can be sending signal to whatever it is. So, you know, Leonard's article, I think, is definitely on on par with what we're seeing day to day and what we're hearing from our clients, what we're, we're seeing in the trade shows. And, you know, and I think the next couple of years, you know, we're going to have rapid changes in technology. Uh, I think the cycles are going to be coming. Uh, they're going to get closer together and a lot faster than what we've been seeing. Uh, one of the things that IT people much smarter than I am has, have told me that they've looked at AVB and said they're only their biggest concern is not the fact that the network, um, it, it's the fact that the switches are not there. Some of the switches are not there yet, um, and the you know, and it's not that all of them, right? It's so it's, there's some of them that couldn't handle the the the, the AVB. Um, Ellen, how much? I guess I should ask this this way from the, from your Avenue Alliance side. How much have you guys been in contact with people like Cisco and HP, the guys that are making these these routers and switchers? Yeah, so Cisco is a, a member of Avenue Alliance, um, and uh, you know they have not disclosed uh, you know their product roadmap to us. Um, you know some some companies have been more forthcoming than others, um, but you know from working with you know Broadcom and Marvell, you know companies that are making these chips, you know that are going into the bridges, um, you know. 
the way that they work is that they, you know, when there's a new standard, um, new technology, they add it into their chips early on without it being enabled, you know, just to make sure that it doesn't mess anything up. Um, so they've been, you know, adding this uh, kind of silicon layer that's required by AVB for, you know, the last like seven or eight years at least. Um, so there is quite a lot of silicon out there that can handle uh, AVB. And it's, you know, kind of waiting to be unlocked, but it's, you know, it's it's proven itself in that it's not getting in the way of anything. It doesn't, you know, interfere with other things. It's something that um, is, is, is pretty proven out just in working with Ethernet as it is today. Okay, very good. Uh, one other well, question. Go ahead. I have a question now, actually, because we're talking about all this. It's coming. It's coming. There's been some, you know, still debating some of the, the qualifiers for the for the standard. And I wonder if anyone is taking the lesson from MIDI. Now, Tim has heard me say this a lot. MIDI is a pure example of a, a multi-manufacturer standard. The only that example. they finally well, yes, <laughs> probably true. Well, you're saying successful standard. Yes, yes. the only successful yeah. standard. Don't get me started yeah, on we CEC. Can talk CEC but Do not talk to CEC. That failed too. Um, that and 3D are CEC banned. CEC oh, and 3D are banned. <laughs> I think I just opened up a whole can of worms. I just Alan, made that up right now. <laughs> you, you see my point, though, is that is that model something that everyone's talking about when they're working on these standards, or are we still dealing with the infighting? Because they really did settle their scores and say, okay, we have to make something that will do X, Y, and Z. You have a certain set of packets or you know, part of the bit code that's only for you, and then you can sort of be exclusive. But for all of us to benefit, we have to apply to the standard. And I still see a lot of people infighting about, now nah, we're going to go our own way. That's interesting. Yeah, so MIDI uh, is a great example of you know, companies working together. And I would say that for you know, the, the great majority of the time that like, people in, within the Avenue Alliance are very dedicated to the cause of you know, bringing the standardized AVB to market and you know, realizing that it creates a larger pie for everybody to have slices of and that it's just generally going to benefit our industry and you know from the company side and from the end user side um that you know that's that's been the kind of modus operandi of of the avenue alliance and the and all the companies within it um so um i know that there's been um discussions you know f uh with you know integrators and consultants and things of talking about like oh dante versus avb or you know other things versus avb Coburn, you know but um uh, I would say that within the Avenue Alliance, within the, the number of companies that have um, contributed to the IEEE standards, you know, there's a lot of overlap between Avenue um, and those companies, um, that, you know, most of the discussions, and I'd say like, you know, that 95% of the discussions have been about, you know, the technical side and about getting it to market and making sure that it's going to be, that it's going to work for everybody and, you know, thrown a lot of different use cases in there for, you know, things from theme parks to home entertainment systems to, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of things that sometimes seem at odds, but we've kind of worked through quite a lot of those in very, um, you know, re respectful ways and not, um, not had uh, as kind of like, you know, storm outs or anything like that. So it's, you know, it's been a, a really great uh, working experience. Hmm. Ellen, another one of the articles that, that I wanted to add to the, this was uh, one by a, a buddy of ours, John Huntington. And in it, he writes, and he writes very glowingly about, about AVB, but he mentions Dante and the fact that it's a proprietary system. He doesn't, I, I didn't take it as directly correlated the two or wasn't comparing, trying to compare apples to apples. Is there a, is there something that, that people can, can uh, compare AVB to? Or, and if so, what is it? 
Um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, so I guess um, as far as comparison, you know, it's there's there's nothing really out there that that is built into Ethernet the way that AVB is. So from that side, you know, the to get something equivalent, you'd have to do a lot of manual configuration of a network and you know have some overhead and um, and you know set up you know do quite a lot of of manual setup to get to the same kind of level. And even then, you still don't have quite have the um, you know the time synchronization in there. It's uh, so it's um, there's there's no there's I, there's no other kind of proprietary system that kind of has it all in the same way that AVB does. And you know, Autonate is also a member of Avenue Alliance. Um, you know, and they've um, expressed you know that they're intending to get their product certified as well. So um, that's you know, I'm I'm sure that we'll see some transition of Dante to AVB and you know interoperability. Um, from there George, your world stage does a lot of staging and events. Um, mm -hmm. You guys use? Do you use Dante? First of all, yes, we do. Okay, but I, I know I know you and I have also talked about Copernet as well. Yes, yes, uh, more Dante really at this juncture. More Dante. We have a lot of Yamaha. We have a lot of Yamaha boards. So well, it's interesting that Ellen mentions the fact that that uh, the Dante, the guys make Dante, are, are part of the alliance. Is there? A, can you see maybe in in the future? You know, without your crystal ball. Where this becomes the replacement for Cobra, Cobranet, and and Dante. Well, first of all, I give it my theremin music uh, in the background theremin. as I say this. Right? Anyway, uh, I couldn't whistle that. Um, I, I, yes, I would hope that that's the migration. I would hope that that we would be able to say we've established this, and with only a small bit of pain, sort of like a flu shot, we can move on to the full implementation to this AVB wider network and a little bit more open space and not have to rely on proprietary. Um, it's a hope, and it would be disappointing if it didn't, but they've made a lot of noise about it being so. So <laughs> short of all of the companies involved going belly up, I think it's going to be inevitable. I, again, I hope. <laughs> yeah. uh, Adrian, is there, um, when it comes to you know, control systems and things of that nature, um, and just beyond the the pro side right i mean george does the staging uh, I, have, I have a lot of friends who work uh, on tour and they love things like uh Cobernet and and dante it depends on the guy it depends on what he likes right um so I, I see a lot of good uses for that what kind of uses are there in not not pro but like the the commercial and the residential area for something like avb if not avb specifically well, I mean, there's there's tons of applications, um, you know, for AVB. Uh, you know, we're, we're specking in our designs a lot of the Sara products um, because it gives us a, a we can do more with less. I, I guess is a good way of putting it. You know, instead of having multiple Cobraflex, uh, um, uh, you know, audio flexes with Cobranet, you know, I can do the same thing with, you know, uh, you know, a new server and a server I/O and a couple Expo and XP boxes you know, in the Tessera family and get all that functionality and get, a, you know, definitely more uh, on the DSP engines. So it's definitely a lot more efficient. Um, one of the big things that which we're right now trying to get our sales to understand is now that we're going into, you know, a lot more heavy network uh, types of situations, we can't be using the, you know, the bargain basement prosumer, you know, Ethernet switches and routers. Wow. And we have to start going and looking at, you know, uh, enterprise class products, layer two, layer three, uh, so that we can guarantee that signals getting from 
A and A to B. And sometimes the sticker shock is is uh, our salespeople and some of our clients are like, why is it so much? I'm like, you guys don't bat an eye when you're you're talking about your network switches in your you know server closets for you know your computers, but everyone freaks out when they see you know an eight thousand dollar you know, POE network switch that we have to do AV control and AVB and all the other stuff on. Well, answer me a question. Does it have to be the $8,000, you know, enterprise class? I mean, there are enterprise classes for less 24-port switches that are not that much money. Very, there are some, but a lot of things we're running into is, is who, like, who makes them and then tracking them down and then, you know, when you're dealing with, sometimes you're dealing with Cisco, it's like, oh my gosh, um, is that box going to work with what we want to do? So mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, integrators, ourselves included, are we're still trying to find a lot of those boxes that are going to do all the stuff, like the, the the little Netgears and the D-Links are okay for, yeah. you know, your simple, simple stuff, but now we're having to do, you know, you want our own whole building for an AV control system, that cheap Netgear switch isn't going to do the job because, it's gonna, you know, you're going to have those bottlenecks uh, and a lot of times we see it as as simple as the volume control. You know, you want to do the volume control up and up. And if you have a touch panel that's now on a LAN that's PoE powered or through an injector, if you don't have a, a really reliable switch, volume up and volume down are not going to, you know, be at the exact same moment as you need them to be. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. valid true. point. Uh, by the way, Alan, real quickly, I, I, and actually I said this to, to one of your counterparts at the Avenue Alliance. Um, I mentioned that I, I had been asking for the V. I also also say this. Uh, Infocom 2013 was, was interesting for me because up until that point, I had been comparing uh, side-by-side AVB and HD-based T. And it mm. wasn't honestly until looking at the two products on the show floor and, and, and talking to both of your guys' people, uh, both, both groups' people, that wasn't very fair of me because they are completely, they are, are, are markedly different. And yeah. they both have good use cases, and they both have uh, good technologies. And, and so I, I guess I apologize to you on the behalf of the Avenue Alliance <laughs> for, for doing that for a couple of years. So, um, no problem. Uh, you are listening to, to <laughs> AV Week. I'm just a jerk sometimes. Just ask George. Uh, that guy right there is George Tucker. Adrian Boyd is also with us. And Ellen Julin uh-huh. <sighs> from uh, Meyer Sound. <laughs> uh, moving on, let's uh, let's talk about Bixie and s- systems to size standards. I almost said. Uh, here's the thing: it, this is something that that is coming out. It's called the Bixie 005. It is the security systems design standard for security systems design. Uh, Adrian, how integrated are we getting? Uh, how intertwined, I guess, is the best way to put that? Are we getting when it comes to emergency notification? And, uh, and and security uh, designs? Quite a lot, because when we look at it, it we're, over the years, an EV integrator has been touching this in one shape or form uh, as, you know, on the low voltage side. We've been integrating security systems. You know, uh, when we talked to, to our buddy, Matt Scott, he'd integrate security in a lot of his products and on his residential business. So in the consumer world, I mean, we're still, um, we integrate security in one shape or form. Either that's through, uh, you know, our control systems, with uh, you know keypad and access control. Um, if we're working in the government space, we're doing some semblance of security uh, in in terms of non-secure and secure AV systems. Um, so, when we talk about safety and security, 
it's always there in, in one segment or another. I think it's going to become closer and closer because um, Don has said on many shows, you know, who who are the people that are, are most well suited for a lot of these um, uh, des- uh, um, different uh, groups and, and technologies? It's it's the AV guy because we're the jack of all trades when it comes to just about every industry. You know, we we have to touch it, we have to integrate it, we have to make it talk to something else. So we're well positioned to, to do a lot of these things. And and Bixi and, and Infocom have, have had a, a long-standing relationship for the last couple of years um, in trying to streamline um, installation practices, design guides, uh, and you name it, because they understand that, you know, both these two, you know, standards and, and organizations, we they serve their own. They serve the best collective interest of everyone. Uh, George, when it comes to, do you guys have to do Im- any kind of emergency notification for staging? I would think you would um, have to. N- not, ge- I mean, not generally. I mean, that's usually handled by the facility. Okay. I mean, there is a voice of God mic, and we're all on headsets and stuff like that. And voice of God mic being the mic that goes to the PA from, say, a central board, as someone can make an announcement. Generally, it's the, you know, ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats kind of stuff. I want that um, job. Yeah, I know, right? That'd be a great gig. It would be. Uh, no. But when it comes to... Q- I'm Don Pardo. jeez. Oh, <laughs> That's the job I want is, is the, exactly. the announcer for SNL. Um, well, we, do do, um, inter- we do do a lot of integration work these days, and tying into life safety systems is something we, we have to be aware of, and we sort of hand it off to the contractor who does that, but... All right. So, is this something that you? I mean, you, eventually you'll have to worry about because when you're when you're tying into the, into the different systems, um, and, and Bixie is not a stranger to us and members of Infocom because we've we've worked with them before on not only the green uh, AV stuff but some other things. Uh, is this a good thing? The fact that that we're we're throwing this out there to have a, another uh, standard, or is this just kind of like another evolution? Of of what they call the the ESS, which is the Electric uh, Safety and Security System Design Implementation. Implementation. You're asking me that, right? Yes, sir. Okay, sorry. That's all right. It, I think it's a natural evolution, and it's good for everybody to have their talking points and know that there's a greater system that they need to be aware of. How far that'll be integrated between trades, I don't know yet. I mean, we talk a lot about convergence in this on the show and, and other articles in the trades that we're all sort of merging into one industry, basically. So we're going to have to know at least a little bit about it, enough still. But I think life safety will always be that very specific division of some, of some trade because it's life safety. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, know, you can't, yeah. you don't, you don't want to have to be the guy who puts in DVD players and no life safety because you're not really doing that. Um, although I do have one other comment, though. This guy, Jerry Bowman, yeah. have you ever seen more alphabet soup behind somebody's <laughs> name? I count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven <laughs> abbreviations. Uh, one of the, uh, one of the uh, uh, main um, Crestron guys in, uh, in Chicago, his name is John Lamberson. He calls those guys stamp collectors. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love John. He's I, He's a really good guy. He's too stupid. He's too smart for the for my own good, though. Yeah, right. I feel I always feel stupid when I end up talking to him. So, uh, Ellen, yeah, is there something we we talk about standards a lot? But also remember, these are really good things for us to try to achieve to, you know, that, yeah. that next level of there's a goal that we can kind of t- uh, you know work towards in trying to make ourselves better. Why would we want to do that? 
Um, Ellen, when it comes to, um, you, do you guys have to do anything when it comes to emergency notification or making sure you're up to a certain standard or is it just making sure that you can spit out a, a specific SPL? Well, it's one thing that we added into a number of our products is the ability to hook up like a fire mute, um, okay. to, you know, to have a simple contact closure that will just mute everything. Um, and, uh, to be able to also kind of share that control, like over a network, you know, assuming that it's still available during that time, um, and, uh, you know, um, on the, the Cal loudspeaker also have like a kind of uh, switch to a backup mic too to be able to make an announcement or to, you know, receive an input from something that is, you know, making that announcement too. So it's something to quickly switch over to a backup input and uh, for emergency announcements. Very good. Uh, all right. Um, moving on to CE Pro or not CE Pro, but, but CDA 2013. The article is from CE Pro uh, and our good friend, Miss Julie Jacobson. She says... Nest will open an API. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. Okay, so it's it's not a great prediction because the CEO of of Nest is going to be the keynote speaker at CDO. But it's a really good educated guess. Um, <laughs> it's not like like she, you know, she has any any inside information, but it's a great educated guess on on Julie's part. Um, actually, uh, Ellen, we'll start with you on this. When it comes to integrating, not that you guys do a lot of of, of home stuff, but when it comes to Getting these things that um, are not necessarily in, 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 par, in AV, but they've made a really big hit outside of AV. Um, is it important? I mean, how important is it for for guys like uh, you know uh, Extron and AMX and Crestron to be able to integrate with them to where you know they can start um, talking to them and controlling them and integrating the entire house with something that somebody's already uh, already went out and purchased. Yeah, we've, we've put a lot of uh, development work into making it easy for, for people to integrate with our products um, and publishing a lot of the standards that we use, like open sound control, and we also have like a just a, a really simple command line interface so that we make it really easy for programmers of those uh, of those devices, those touch screens, things to tie into our systems and receive back information about when things are muted or what the level is and, um, you know, changing some presets and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, we've, we've done a lot of, um, of, of work in that area to make that simple for people. Very cool. Uh, George, is this, uh, is this a big deal, the fact that, um, that, that Tony Fidel, I think is how you say his last name, uh, is coming to Cedia talking about, obviously, uh, putting more and more nests into uh, home and, and residential and hopefully maybe, you know, giving, uh, giving people an API where, you know, uh, control, uh, control programmers can start talking to them and, and getting feedback and pretty, you know, giving us a nice pretty little screen on our, on our Crestron controllers. I think it's absolutely necessary, uh, and uh, on two folds, actually. One, in order for Nest to grow beyond the confines of the GWiz Gizmodo crowd, it needs to be able to implement with other systems or create its own. And what's the easiest path, right? What's the path of least resistance? Getting others to hook into your stuff. Uh, so I think definitely that's what that's all about with them. They have to do it. And I wouldn't be surprised if they come up with a few other sort of off-market or you know, consumer market branded stuff that they can control their thermostat with and that will expand out eventually. Uh, it's, it's the model that a lot of these guys seem to be following lately. But I also think this is one of those things that may just be that next little niche step up the mountain for mass market home automation because this thing has gotten so much, gotten, has received so much attention. Uh, I speak English. Um, so much attention from that mass market crowd that 
you know, they tend to make fun of the higher end stuff, but that low cost automation systems that a lot of our you know, industry is now sort of trying to at least tentatively put their toe into that, that lower cost mid market stuff. Um, this is a good attention getter. So I, for both sides, I think it's going to work out well. Yeah, we'll talk about that low-cost control stuff. Go ahead. Oh, you know, I had a, um, a question about that, the Nest uh, integration, too, because I think, uh, you know, and just reading about it, I was curious about whether they're aiming to possibly go into, like, high-end hotels or something and where they would need to have some sort of additional integration for control. Um, that could be a next kind of business leap for them. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm wondering what you guys think about that. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that they could do is, I mean, whether it's, you know, um, integrating in a hotel or, or like condo units, they may actually, like, you know, start doing other controls as well. And that's, I, I guess I shouldn't say that's the thing that worries me, but you look at stuff like that. And, and I've, I've written before and, and spoken before about uh, my experiences with Train and Honeywell, where they'll come into different organizations and they'll say, hey, we can give you control over your HVAC system, absolutely. But we can also let you control your lights and let you control this, that, and the other. Um, so it, it almost feels a little Trojan horse-ish uh, when it comes to Nest. Because you know what? It's a it's a slick little little piece. I mean, I, I say that yeah, having experience. I've, I've got one at the house. And it's it's a neat little device. So, uh, Adrian, is this, is this a neat thing with, with them giving us the API? I think it's a it's a it's a general evolution of what Nest is trying to do, um, and you know everyone remembers it's, you know sometimes it's not convenient to take your phone or your you know internet enabled device to change your thermostat, um, especially if you're you know have a dedicated control system or something else, you know it's a pain in the butt to oh I got to use my phone to change my thermostat and but I have my control system that does my lights and all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think Nest is, is certainly doing something cool. But this also opens up a lot of broader other things. I mean, there were two articles that came that come down the wire um, this week. One was um, when smart homes get attacked by Forbes magazine that talked about how there are a ton of these smart you know homes that have got all these you know, internet-enabled devices and control systems that you literally can become the ghost of the machine and start turning people's lights on and off and playing with their HVAC. And, and the other one was a lot of the, um, if you didn't read that came out from uh, CNN just recently was that smart, that uh, a hacking group had found that, um, one of the, uh, a couple models of Samsung smart TVs, um, had a couple vulnerabilities and they could actually hack into the television and use the embedded camera and watch you as you were watching TV. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> So, you know, when we 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 become a, a, a definitely a lot more of a connected um, uh, society with a lot of our technology, but now we're finding that, oh, this is cool. But then your neighbor next door can start playing with your gear. So, well, that may also makes us a more a more vulnerable society as well, is what it sounds like. Very true. Not to be paranoid, but <laughs> can we say prism? Well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is, and, and you know, not even prism. Nineteen eighty four, dude. I mean. <laughs> I mean, do you remember that the, there's a there's a scene in the book where uh, they're all supposed to do exercises, and you know the 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 TV talks back to them and says, you know, you're not, you know, one nine seven two five four, you're not exercising. Well, it it even gets into other things that, um, you know, not to go off on the rails, but I mean, or a couple no, years back, the California was talking about that they would have, they wanted to put into law the ability for when. Um, People put in, you know, these smart thermostats that they could remotely control the um, 
the user's, you know, output, you know, oh, so I they can open green yes. and the so state? on. The state? Yes. Uh, well, actually, the, um, the power companies wanted it so that they could yeah. avoid brownouts by forcibly lowering the, what is it, the load shedding of each individual home and business. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, in mean, California, they, they, they got great into trouble idea. there. Well, yeah, but still, I mean, that's a great idea. Give the power company the ability to, to raise and lower my my uh, my thermostat. Are you kidding me? What happens when they don't make enough money and so they're going to start raising it? Yeah. Well, that and, and, you know, you also look at, uh, you know, there's, there's been some controversy the last couple of years about these uh, intelligent power meters. You know that they that a lot of power companies are putting on their homes. Mm-hmm. You know, where people, you know, they're always connected and they're talking to something. So, yep. yeah, yeah. George mentioned the the lower cost uh, control systems. Uh, we we congratulations, I guess that is the best way to put it to Control Four, who is now on the Nasdaq, uh, and they are currently trading as of two forty eight Central Time on Friday the second. Uh, they're trading at nineteen forty five. So. Uh, if you'd like to buy stock in that, go ahead. I'm not telling you to or not to because I'm not a <laughs> stockbroker. So, but that's interesting, well, isn't it? I mean, think about it. See where it goes. Well, here's the thing: how many how many AV companies are publicly held? I guess is the best way to put that. Well, there have been some over the years, and but a lot of them have gone. You know, they've been purchased by VC firms and private investment companies and pulled off. You know the public and put back into private uh, ownership yeah. in one shape or form. Yeah, I'm just thinking I mean, about things like it, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, I'm thinking about was, like Meyer and Bosch and Chris. Was Colorado VNet? Who was Colorado, Colorado VNet, VNet public publicly held? I, think I they can't were, remember. And then they crashed and burned. Yeah, and then they came back and then they crashed and then they crashed another TO. So <laughs> TIO. TIO. Um, you know, I, I, I'm on two. I'm on the fence about this. I mean, they just raised what is the, the Julie Jacobson uh, from CE Pro tweeted out that it was something like 500 million in capital that they could have at their disposable. Uh, uh, disposable? Dispo- disposal. You're <laughs> having a problem. You've language. already been drinking, yes. haven't you? Oh, no. I only wish I was, buddy. The grand mal seizure, I think. But they, um, they, they have a lot of money at hand, but they have to also satisfy what the investors want. So that could stifle creativity and innovation into markets. You know, the investors may want money back and say, no, no, this market, this market, this market, that's what the capital is. Don't, don't look at these small, long-tail type products, which could eventually make them the, the, a leader in something. They want it now. Okay, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the, the flip side of that. Yeah. Um, a lot of times, and a lot of times, sometimes uh, stockholders are idiots, but a lot of times... <laughs> sometimes? They're also, really? they're also the, the, where the people live, right? And this is not... Um, the, the ivory towers, these are people who, you know, work uh, a nine to five job and this, that, and the other, they could actually possibly guide control for and, and force them to be a bigger player in certain areas simply to get a return on the money, but it would push them to, um, to evolve faster and better maybe than they would have if they hadn't gone public. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a hard, I mean, look, I worked for Crestron for, for, oh God, a long time. And one of the things that they were very prideful of was that it was owned by one man and they could make decisions and turn on a dime and they had nobody to answer to except the guy who owned the place. Yeah. And he would do things that everybody thought was crazy. And most of them turned out to be darn good and really smart stuff. Um, so 
there's that debate, you know, Crestron can go and build a 100,000 square foot research and development center complete with an FCC testing center and all these other fun electric, you know, uh, lightning uh, proofing and testing of their systems. Yeah, Faraday Faraday cage systems. You know, I mean, look, they have one of the, what is it, two or three FCC test facilities Mm -hmm. in the the world, or at least in, in the United States, that's private. They can do this very quickly. And that's the advantage. But they don't have the capital on hand all the time to do it. So, yeah, true. I would say it's uh, uh, similar at, at Meyerstown where we you have the ability to be able to do a lot of research and interesting projects that, uh, you know, stakeholders may not be voting for, you know, but uh, we've got a lot of uh, interesting projects that, you know, some of them work out really well, some of them don't, but uh, many, you know, many things have gone on to be really great products that were thought of as being impossible or, you know, not worth doing, so... Well, that's the thing is I, I look at, at Meyer Sound it being, you know, one guy and, and Crestron being one guy. There are some things that wouldn't have happened or may, maybe eventually they would have happened. But had it not been, you know, one person's decision, quote unquote, some certain things just would not have, have gotten done in, in the industry. Uh, yeah, the risks that are taken sometimes with private firms have huge payoffs. Yeah. Whereas in a public company, it might be, you know, it can turn out very badly. You know, the big thing to, to remember is there's a big difference in uh, the regulation between a public f- company and a private company. And, you know, sometimes the rules for public companies can be very um, stifling. I mean, it, uh, there's certain things you cannot do anymore that you could do if you were a private entity. Yeah. And then the payoff is, is not also not just for the company itself. It's for the industry as a whole. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it, there's just... It, it's interesting how yes, there's a payoff for the company for the bottom line, but it also you know pushes pushes technology forward. So it's it's kind of neat to see. Uh, all right, guys, one last story, and then we'll we'll cut you guys loose to go have fun this weekend. Uh, from my hometown paper, the St. Louis Post Dispatch, uh, written by a guy named Joe Williams. Uh, he's actually a pretty cool little guy. Um, little guy, a pretty cool guy. <laughs> he asked the question, and I'll ask it directly to you guys. Uh, Ellen, we'll start with you. Does the digital switch, in other words, the digital sunset, mean the end mm. of the drive-in movie? Mm. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, we're seeing some interesting trends, you know, in watching the kind of like switch from analog to digital in the audio industry, and then, you know, seeing again uh, the switch from kind of digital to networking. Um, and I think, you know, at this point, there's a lot of, you know, kind of high-end expensive things happening, but that over time with, you know, kind of the pull from consumer uh, products that it's really going to drive down prices and, you know, maybe there's a kind of lull here when things are kind of at that, you know, too exp- too expensive for, you know, the, the kind of like driving kind of businesses like that, um, but that over time there could be a wider range of things that are cheaper. Good good, good point. Uh, Adrian, uh, your, your, your old hometown, is there a is this going to spell the end of of the drive-in movie? I think it's going to make it um, probably be a lot more difficult for a lot of the small drive-in operations. I mean, the drive-in theater has there's not a lot there's not a lot of them left. Um, no, it, in town here there's, to a, there's three or four, I think. Yeah, it, it used to be a, a, a somewhat of a rite of passage, you know, depending on when you were born to to uh, you go on a date to a drive-in movie, and uh, that you know we're slowly losing that. But there were definitely some. When you read the article, it's it's, you know, when you your hours are limited in functioning, mm-hmm. and the cost for you to become a digital compatible um, environment, you know, is is in the uh, 
eighty to a hundred thousand or more range just so you can be compliant with what the studios want to do. And, and this is all driven by the studios. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they want to get away from celluloid production. They want to get away from, um, but a lot of their, their, they determine is, is holes in their distribution network because they want to control distribution to limit pirating and a lot of other things. And this is definitely a method that they can do that, but it hurts those smaller operations. Um, you know, a lot of the, um, uh, drive-in theaters around the country. I mean, they're not tied to Wer- to uh, Werenberg or Regal Cinemas, or um, uh, Cineplex Odeon, um, the big theater conglomerates. Yeah. So they don't have a lot of oomph behind them, and uh, you know there'll probably be some around, but they'll probably go away. And but you've also seen in in a lot of the, uh, the DIY um, forums and for home theater and stuff like that, is there's a huge uptick in the homemade um drive-in theater in your backyard um Mm. getting you know a a low-cost projector and uh you know like a pop-up screen or an inflatable screen and a lot of people are making their own drive-in theater to relive that nostalgia because there's not one near them anymore no that's that's a good point uh george is digital gonna gonna finally put the final nail in the coffin for for drive-in theaters yeah, it seems like it is, doesn't it? Um, well, I mean, there's a few out there that said they can do it, but it seems like it's, what, only 5 or 10% of the mm-hmm. existing. Uh, I forget. Uh, it said something like 650 still exist in some form or another. About 300 yeah. of those are really active uh, on a regular basis. It's too sad. I, although I don't see why this wouldn't be a really good marketing opportunity for a couple of the projection system manufacturers. They talked about the rebate in this article about how they did the same thing they did for the indoor theaters, a rebate plan, costs you less, but you need to raise a certain amount. But this could be sort of a community building, yeah, a lot of these people aren't your client, but if your name's out there all the time and you can get a really good buzz off of helping a few of these you know, uh, homegrown drive-ins that are still struggling to stay in, I, it would be a great opportunity. You might just get other manufacturers to join in. You might, but here, here's the th- <laughs> this is the other side of that. Um, is there anybody out there that makes good high-end di- digital projectors that could benefit from that? Uh, you look at the main the main big boys. You've got Digital Projection. You've got Barco. You've got Christie. Uh, I mean, these guys. Sony. Sony. Well, I guess Sony would be the one that would actually could could actually benefit. You know, where you run a Sony ad uh, every time you run a movie. Yeah. The only problem is, is Sony's divisions don't talk to each other, so <laughs> that's the only problem with that. I don't know. I do lament it. I, 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 every every summer I say I'm going to take my kids. There's a couple here in the area still, and uh, for one reason or another, we we just don't. And so I'm, I'm going to have to do that. So, all right, guys, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, thank you so much for listening. This has been AV Week. Uh, with us has been Ellen Julin. From uh, from Meyer Sound, uh, she is the pr- digital products analyst, uh, but also she works with Avenue Alliance. She's their pro AV segment leader. Thank you so much, ma'am. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, how can people find either you or or Meyer Sound or the Avenue Alliance? Uh, MeyerSound.com and uh, Avenue Alliance or Avenue.org. Sorry. Avenue.org, yep. and that's A V N U. Dot org. Uh, Mr. Adrian Boyd, so nice to talk to you, sir. Well, thank you for having me. It's nice to talk to everybody too. Absolutely. Uh, how can we're people? Now, you're now like in, in season two now. Is that what I season am? Three. Season three. Season three. Season three. Yeah. Yeah, Ellen, we just hit our one hundredth episode. So. A couple oh, weeks congratulations! Ago, so. Yeah, thank you. 
You need um, to get those syndication rights going. Yeah, <laughs> we, we tried that once. It didn't work out. Um, uh, <laughs> We're talking to Netflix. Don't tell anyone. Ooh, that would be awesome. <laughs> George just gave me an idea. Um, how can people find you and Avitexture? Uh, they can find me on, you know, Avitexture on the web, which is www.avitexture.com. Uh, they can find me on Twitter, which is uh, the underscore AV underscore CAD underscore guy, the longest Twitter handle in the known universe, I think. And um, on LinkedIn and all the other places. At least the one with the most underscores, I think. That's true, yeah. All right. Uh, thank you again. Uh, last but not least, Mr. George Tucker, Tucker Twos. Uh, how can people find you, sir? If you look up Tucker Twos and it's a social platform, I am there. Okay. I've got to do something <laughs> with that as, someday. Easy as peasy. Easy peasy. So, yeah, at Tucker Twos plus Tucker Twos. Are you Tucker right. Twos? I write for a number of uh, trade, article, uh, trade uh, periodicals and such, but you'll find them all as I post them there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, go ahead. No, you said, are you? I don't know where I was going. So. Oh, okay. It's Friday. My brain's gone. Uh, so don't follow me on Twitter, if you would, please. Go, but go follow us on, on Twitter, uh, the Aviation folks, that is. Uh, the, uh, we're at uh, Aviation uh, TV on Twitter, but go by the website, avnation.tv. Avnation.tv, you'll find this program and a host of monthlies. We have a control program. We have two, count them, two uh, projection shows starting this uh, month, this month being August, uh, one focusing exclusively on the Pico projection market and one just looking at projectors in, in general. Uh, we've got, excuse me, the Red Band coming out with another one. Uh, that's Chris Netto and, and his band of, of crazies, which George Tucker is a, a proud member of um, the Education <laughs> Show and a bunch of others. So uh, check that out if you would please. Avnation.tv, avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. That's all the time we have for AV Week.